Turning, please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 11 through verse 18. How many of you have ever been on some kind of a project, whether at home or at work or somewhere uh, anywhere in your life, that took a ton of work? And when it was over, you're like, that sense of relief, you're like, oh, it's over, it's finished. Does anybody understand that? That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the subject, it is finished. See, when Jesus came and went to the cross and did the work that he did on the cross, he said, it is finished, it was done. And that is the message that we're arriving at here as we've been traveling through Scripture. He begins to be more forceful with them about it's time to make a decision. And he begins to lay that down here in the latter parts of verse 10 before we get into Hebrews 11. Does anybody here know what Hebrews 11 is known as? The Great Hall of Faith. That's right. And it's going to be interesting. I haven't decided how we're going to tackle that yet, whether we're going to tackle it as one thing or we're going to do each one individually. It could be a while in Hebrews 11 if we do it the latter. But it could be a great study also about those who walked in faith and what did it really look look like and go back and actually look at them. And so today, we're going to dive in here in verse 11 of chapter 10. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. Then he says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray, Father, as we take this brief section and take a look at the enormous point you're making, I pray and ask that we'll leave here when we go today different because we met with you. I pray that we'll hear your voice, that you will speak that you will instruct. There is no better teacher than the Holy Spirit. We yield to him today. We thank you that you're here. We thank you that we don't have to invite you because you're the reason we've come. And so, Father, we look forward to the engagement with you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to, as we travel through looking at It's Finished, we're going to see 
the final sacrifice, the final sacrifice that Jesus makes. We're going to see the new covenant. And we're going to look at briefly forgiveness. And so the writer begins to make a case here for choosing Christ. He's been laying it down. He's been making comparisons. But now he changes his tone a little bit and begins to offer and lay it down for them. See, the priests from the old sacrificial system kept offering the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. And I love the way that he words it because it's almost... Have you ever been in that conversation at home where we're doing the same stuff? It's the same over and over. And, you know, and so he, he's, as he's explaining to that, you can feel the way that he is um, architecturally with the language beginning to say, you're doing the same thing over and over and over and you're not getting anything different. It's, it's dead and there's no life in it. And so he says that they do it over and over. And it doesn't have power to take away sins. And here's the thing. The sacrifice for sin in the Old Testament was never meant to take away sins. It was never meant to take away sin. They thought it was. They thought it was. They were deceived. They were deceived in the human effort to becoming more like God. They were deceived into this energy and the, this ex expending. They were, they were not deceived in the instruction that God had given them. They were deceived in the application of that instruction. And we have to be careful that we don't take God's word and start to make it mean something that God didn't mean when he wrote it. Because when you go to God's word, how many of you have ever heard of hermeneutics. You ever heard the word hermeneutics? How many of you ever heard the word? Okay, now how many of you heard the word hermeneutics? <laughs> All of us. Hermeneutics means Bible study, essentially. There's, two, there's several types of Bible study. We believe in exegesis. You ever heard of that word before? Ex means out of. And I believe it's a Latin term that means out of. We take the meaning out of what's there. Eisegesis means to read onto it. We don't believe in that because then we can make God's word say whatever we want it to say instead of what God actually said. So we lead out the meaning. The, there's an old, there was another word used in the 80s that talks about precept Bible study. If you like, it's mostly it was targeted toward ladies. Y'all ever heard of that one, ladies? Precepts, uh, at, I think there was... Uh, I don't remember who the writer was right now. I'm blanking out on it. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, through precept Bible study, and it was exegesis. It was another word for exegesis. And so we have to, there's rules to understanding what's there. We have to lead out what's there, not read into it. And what they had done, instead of taking what God had meant with the sacrificial system to understand a sacrifice was required. So when Christ came, they recognized it. They turned it into its own thing. And they were putting their trust in their own sacrifices instead of the sacrifice that Jesus did. And the, today what's going on with that is the church and, the, and people of God are doing the same thing. 
as what Israel did. We're putting stock in our own effort and the things that we can do and the, to be right with God. I do, I'm not right with God based on what I do. I'm right with God because Jesus Christ saved me and transformed me from the inside out. And I don't want to do the things that are hurtful to him and his cause. Not to be right with him, but because I love him. And that's the difference that takes place with salvation. And we'll get into that later because it's in here. It's really interesting. And so they had done that. They had taken those things and they put their hope in that instead of in Christ. So Jesus says here that he offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. See, he finished it. It was finished. He said it on the cross. It is finished. To tell us die. And when he did that, all the work, all the payment, all the responsibility for our sins was met. It just had not yet been applied to us because it's applied based upon faith. By grace through faith you've been saved, yet not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2 8 and 9. And so it's by grace that we're saved through faith. So Jesus offers this one sacrifice. See, because their sacrifice was insufficient. It wasn't, for, it wasn't removing sin. But Jesus did. He finished what was needed to satisfy God's requirements for the forgiveness of all sins. And so when he did it, it was complete. That is a perfect picture of us. Repeatedly doing the same thing. But Jesus said, man, if you just let me do it, I'll do it and I'll do it completely. And he did. And so that was the final sacrifice. Now, Jesus is not making sacrifices for us for sin anymore. Like the priests were doing, how they had to keep going back and over and over and over and over. What do you mean we're going to have rice and beans again? <laughs> Terry said amen. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was amen. She wanted rice and beans or amen we like. But what's he doing now? It says he tells us what he's up to. He's seated at the right hand of God. To be at somebody's right hand was a place of authority. That's how it was used back in the Greek culture. The place of authority. Jesus is seated at the right hand. The place of authority. But it's also a place of rest. We don't see Jesus standing. We don't see him hanging on the cross anymore. It's a place of rest. Why? Because his work is finished. Even though he's going to come again, even though he's going to come for us, when he said it's finished, he meant it's finished. You know, it sure be nice if the things that everybody said today, they actually meant them. We live in a world of threats and all these things. Well, if you do this and I'm going to do that, then nothing ever happens and we don't ever believe what they have to say. Well, I'll tell you what, when we were growing up, if we were told we were going to get spanked if we did something and we did it, guess what happened? We got spanked. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I thank I thank God that I had parents who did what they said. 
You know, because if they didn't, why would I believe God would? But we want chance after chance after chance. And the thing is, when Jesus said it was done, it was done. And so he's seated now at the right hand of the, uh, the Father. Place of authority. There's no more sacrifice required. He's also waiting for the time when his enemies become a footstool for his feet. You know, it's interesting. You would think, you could almost make an argument that happened at the cross, couldn't you? Right? We, we, we talked about last week during Easter, which is interesting how it kind of ties in, how death was seen as an enemy. He talked about death as an enemy. And why, you know, what's an enemy? An enemy is something that wants to take from you. Well, how is death his enemy? Because it takes people from him. Because once we cross that threshold, the opportunity for decision is over. And so it's absolutely his enemy. And it's our enemy too, because it keeps us from him. And so when he talks here, about waiting for the time when his enemies will be a footstool for his feet. In other words, they have no more place. There's a time coming where we shall die no more. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sin in this world. You know, we have, there's a few steps biblically that we have to go through first. We're in the church age, ladies and gentlemen. This is the age of the church. The church did not exist in the Old Testament. I was sitting in seminary, and I'm embarrassed to say that this happened at the place I studied at. But I had a man stand up in front of us, preach out of the Old Testament about how Israel waded into the water, and he said... What this is, is the church. And some of you are ankle deep, some of you are waist, and some of you are neck deep. And I sat there and I thought, no, that ain't the church, that's Israel. <laughs> now, you can apply that some of us are committed in those degrees, but it ain't in those verses. And so we have to be careful that we don't read into, we have to lead out of. And so he's waiting for that time. There will be a time where in the church age... Then there's going to be the rapture of the church come. I, I am a pre-trib, pre-mill person. Now, there are good people that are mid-trib and post-trib people. I think the fact that the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour, that rules those two out for me. Because I would be able to count the days to three and a half years and see when... The man of sin would take his place. If I was a mid-trib, I'd be able to count the days that when Jesus would return. And if I can't know the day or the hour, then it has to rule that out for me. Because all I have to do is be able to count. That's why I hold this view. That's one of the reasons that I hold this view. So I believe that the church is going to wrap throughout, that there's going to be seven years of tribulation period. There's going to be a season <laughs> that the devil's released. I'm sorry, there at seven years of tribulation, the sheep and the goats judgment, then we move in the millennial kingdom. 
at the end of the millennial kingdom, there's a season that the, the devil's released. And then there's a final great white throne judgment where we receive the new heaven, new earth. And we're living forever. And that's how it breaks out. So he's waiting for that time. He's got another time coming. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it now and then. And so here's the challenge to the old sacrificial system. By one offering, he perfected for all time those who are sanctified. He perfected them. The sanctified, now watch this, the sanctified are the saved, but Jesus' sacrifice perfects us. He saves us and perfects us based upon his shed blood. So you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're not that person that you were before you came to faith in Christ. Because if that were true, then this is a lie. It doesn't say he's going to be perfecting you. You are perfected. The tense tells us it's in the past. So if you have been sanctified, which means set apart, that comes with salvation. Being perfected comes with salvation also. So the truth is, the process of sanctification is the process of shedding the old thoughts, because our mind is being renewed, the old thoughts and ways that our sin nature taught us before we came to faith in Christ. Because if I'm set apart and I'm perfect at the moment of salvation, then it's a matter of stripping all that off so people can see what Jesus did. That's why they would ask of the hope that's within me. That's why his sacrifice was enough. Because with his sacrifice setting us apart and perfecting us could not be done in the old, in the old system. It can only be done by his blood. And so here, <laughs> we realize that at the final sacrifice, the one that Jesus gave, where he gave himself, that he saved us and perfected us. Which ushered in the new covenant. The new covenant. They were used to the old covenant. They had all these laws. And then they had laws to explain the laws. It's kind of like what we're living in now. Well, here's what the law says. And here's these 17 laws to explain those laws, what the law says. And then we have case law that helps to study that and, and redefine that. And so we go through this whole thing. And Jesus said, no. I am the new, he's the new covenant. And the new covenant is in his blood. Verse 15 the Holy Spirit enters the conversation. You know, that's really interesting. I don't know if you saw that or picked up on that. Because the Holy Spirit plays a vital role in the new covenant, doesn't he? We enter that because he convicts us of sin and we say yes to Christ. And then he communicates with us on a regular basis and he talks with us and he leads us into all truth. 
And so here the Holy Spirit shows up as he begins to talk about the new covenant. Way cool. And the Holy Spirit, what he's doing is he's testifying. He will testify to a few things. He says, I'm going to put my laws upon their heart. See, we go through a heart change, ladies and gentlemen, when we come into a relationship with Christ. We're just not cleaning up behavior. We're cleaning up desires and passions and the thing, you know, the things we used to want, we don't want anymore. And then some of them still kind of stick around, don't they? There's some of those old things that we struggle. There's some things that just shed real easy. And then there's some things that we have a tendency to struggle with. But the truth is, that's also been shed. We're believing a lie to hold on to that. Well, you don't understand. No, I do understand. That's the problem. Because <laughs> I know how tough it can be, and I know how hard it can be. I know how challenging it can be. Because it feeds the flesh. And so he's, he moves from putting his... Where did he put his laws the last time? Tablets, stone tablets. So they're not on stone, they're in hearts of flesh. He changes where they're written. See, these were revered things. And the question is, do we revere that? The writing of his hand upon our own heart. Like the tablets are revered. Oh my goodness, if we were to find those today... We would be a MasterCard commercial. Priceless. It would be a priceless artifact. And so he puts them on our heart. And the Spirit leads us in those things. And so he's writing his very laws upon your heart today if you're saved. It's happening. We have to pay attention, ladies and gentlemen. Because if you're saved, it's happening. This is happening whether you realize it's happening or not. Because this is the truth. But it's not just upon our heart. He also tells us on our mind, on their mind I will write them. See, our thinking starts to change. Not just what we love, but how we think. How we understand and process things. And the things of God begin to make sense. I'll give you a verse. Y'all give me that look. That means you want more Bible. Okay. How can the least be first and the first be last? Or the, the first be last and the last be first? But we all get it, don't we? To a degree. Humility. How many of you enjoy arrogant people? I just wondering. Man, look at the hands in our laps. <laughs> She's looked up, she's like, somebody raise their hand. <laughs> what do we do with arrogant people? We kind of resist them, we get away from them, 
we know that there's something that's going to go wrong there. <laughs> They're not teachable. But humble people, how many of you have ever had a boss that was humble? Isn't it a joy to work for them? Right? It's a joy. You, and you know what you find yourself doing? You do more. You know, they've asked this, but I'm going to do more because I enjoy working for them. You know, employers want to find out how to get more out of you. You know how to get more out of something? Put more into it. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's really not that hard. Before I turn this into a John Maxwell. <laughs> The Holy Spirit writes them on our heart and on our mind. That's what the new covenant's about. That's not a strange thing. That's not an unusual thing. That's the way it is. The same way it was set in stone for them, it's set in flesh for us by the Spirit of God. And so the new covenant is different because the things of the law are not just an outward expression. They flow from the inside out because of the transformation that takes place in Christ. It's not just something we do because we got to do it because we got to check the box because this is what it says and my heart's not in it. I don't even care. I'm doing it because I have to. Let me, let's be honest. We've all done that for the Lord in church before. Okay? So let's be honest about that. But when you begin to walk with him, when you begin to have conversation, when you begin to pay attention to those things, what you start doing is, a, is an outflow from within instead of a flow to become. What? Do you ever think to yourself, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Do you ever think to yourself, well, I did my thing for God today, I went to church. Churches to encourage us unto what two things? Love and good works, good deeds. And so this is not what we do for the Lord. This is where he speaks to us and encourages us unto love, to loving one another. Because sometimes it can be hard to love us, can it? If you don't think it's hard to love you at times, I want you to ask your spouse on the right home, is it hard to love me sometimes? And spouses, be honest on the ride home. No, you're perfect all the time. <laughs> on the ride home, not now. But we can be difficult at times. But we're called unto love. We're called unto good works. And so it flows out of the transformation that takes place in Christ. But the thing that's really interesting here, because the whole sacrificial system was a picture of forgiveness, is he talks about complete forgiveness in verses 17 and 18. See, he goes further informing us about that. We're told that 
Our sins and lawless deeds he will remember no more. Have you ever gone to apologize to somebody and they can't remember the offense? And what do we normally say? Well, then never mind, right? <laughs> if you don't remember, then we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> right? Isn't that what we do? We don't go, well, let me remind you how bad I was. We don't do that. We just, we stop talking. But yet with God, when he doesn't remember it anymore because he says he won't, we want to remind him. Well, let me tell you. Instead of finding out what he's up to in our life in that moment. You see, <laughs> he chooses to remember no more. He chooses in his divine holiness to wipe his memory of your sins and lawless deeds. Man, what a loving God. <laughs> How can an all-knowing God choose to forget and still be all-knowing? Somehow it works. I can't explain it. I'm not going to try. It's not today. I'm just glad both are still possible. Let me tell you something. If you, if you have to figure something out with God to believe it or to have your faith in Him, then your God's too small. Because the God I know exists beyond human comprehension. And that's the God I want to serve anyway. I don't want to serve a God that I can completely contain within my mind. I mean, because it's small enough as it is. <laughs> Then to try to bring him down into that, I want him to exist beyond me. I want him to exist beyond me. And so, their sins and lawless deeds, he remembers no more. That's forgiveness. He chooses not to remember our sins and lawless deeds. And the implication of that for us is that we're never going to face them again, even when we face him. Isn't that cool? Everybody thinks, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to answer... For what I did. Haven't your sins already been answered for? Yes or no? So do you still believe you're going to answer for them? <laughs> it's hard to say no to that, isn't it? Because we believe this stuff that's not true. Yeah, but doesn't it say that the fire of God is going to come upon us? And the work's done for him and the only ones that are going to survive. Yeah, it does. That's the Bema Seat of Christ. And what he's talking about is we have this body of service before us that flows out of our life. And there's going to be things in there that we did for God out of self-effort because we wanted to please him and we wanted to reach people and he wasn't in it. I'm not going to speak for any of you right now. I'm going to speak for me. I've done that. I remember one. God was dealing with me about returning to him on some things and getting my life back where it needed to be. And I remember this time where we used to go down and hand out tracts and witness down on Guadalupe, down in Austin. And I thought, man, I just got to go do that. I got to go do that. So I went, and the church provided tracks. They had, maybe we should do that. 
They provided, that's a good idea. Somebody write that down. Stephen? Oh, you, never mind. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Meredith, write that down. <laughs> Church needs to provide tracks. And I went down to Guadalupe, and I handed these tracks out, and somebody takes it, and they read it, and I'm thinking, here we go. And he thanked me for it. He handed it back to me. Bless you, Stephen Jr. He handed it back to me. And he said, thank you. Please share this with someone else. And I said, no, you can keep it. He said, no, that would hurt Mother Earth. And in that moment, I realized how un spiritually unprepared I was to be in that situation. It's not what we do. It's who we know. And we must, that will burn up. But he did use it in my life. Because <laughs> that was come, that flowed out of me. Out of me. Out of my desire to be closer, I was trying to return to Egypt to the things that I thought were great. Now, did Egypt take care of Israel? Absolutely, they did during famine. They all went down, it was a famine. Who was appointed? Come on, all you Wednesday night folks. Joseph. God used that. But that's not where they were supposed to be. They were looking back instead of looking forward. You know, I, I was realizing that this week. We do that a lot, don't we? We look back at a church, a group of people, a member that was at a church that we really thought a lot of that has left or something has happened. And we get sad. And we wish and we look for things just like that again. And we miss what's here in the moment. We miss what God's up to in our life today. And you know, I like things to be kind of stable for a long time. Anybody, am I the only one? We know, you know, I like change and I like certain things, but I like it from a base of this is the way it is. But you know what I realized? Things change all the time. Everything changes. You know, eventually one day I will not be pastoring this church. That's not an announcement. <laughs> but I'm going to be in the ground one day enjoying my eternal life <laughs> everything changes and so here the implication is we're never going to see those sins again Guys, you don't have to worry about that. We need to quit worrying about that and quit letting that beat us down from enjoying the salvation we have in Christ. Well, what if I make a mistake? You know what? I, anybody ever heard the name Wayne Gretzky before? How many of you have never heard the name Wayne Gretzky? Okay. Wayne Gretzky was a hockey player, one of the, arguably one of the best of all time. And Wayne Gretzky said, 100% of the shots you don't take, don't go in. We have to try things. We have to shoot. If you feel like the Lord is leading you, I'd rather try it and fail and miss because we're trying to hear than miss because we're not trying to hear or we don't care. We can't sit and do nothing. We've got a calling. 
We've been forgiven. That's the greatest. That's what this world needs. They need forgiveness. They don't even know how to forgive. Some of them are all eaten up by unforgiveness. Now, you don't, don't raise your hand. Anybody here ever been dealt with unforgiveness? I will speak. I have been there. And I've had the Lord bring conviction in my life. And I went through the process of saying, well, that, if I forgive them, then, I, then what I'm saying, what they did is okay. And it's not okay. Right? That's why we don't forgive, because what they did is not okay. But forgiving them doesn't say that what they did is okay. It says that you are not going to have control over my life that Jesus Christ is. I will not allow what you did that was wrong. I will let that go and let him be in charge of every area of my life instead of the thing that hurt me the most. See, our emotions become the dictator of our spiritual behavior then instead of God's word and the leading of the spirit. And that's how the enemy works in. Man, I'm telling you, the enemy works on our emotions day and night, doesn't he? You know, I'm just getting so irritated with these people. I'm just going to let them have it. You ever been there where you, you, you know, you're trying to be godly and you kind of let it go and you let it go and you let it go. I feel like I'm in Hawaii and you let it go. And then, but you're really not letting it go. You're just not reacting to it outwardly. What you're doing is, I'm going to keep it and I'm going to let it build up and it's going to get higher and deeper and then it's going to blow over one little thing. And then they're like, why are you so upset over that one little thing? That's what happens. We don't let it go. If you let it go, there would never be that explosion later. Uh-oh. Now I'm going to meddling. It's true though, isn't it? Truth is always true, right, Dwayne? Right. No matter which way it cuts, a sharp blade will cut wherever it's applied. Ooh, that's a good one. Somebody write that one down. And so the good news is, is we have complete forgiveness. There's no longer, listen to this, there's no longer any offering for sin. There's no longer any offering for it. It sounds like it's gone, right? <laughs> the reason there's no offering for sin for those who have been sanctified and perfected is because it's no longer needed. It's like when you run out of your prescription, your antibiotic, because I know you all take every pill like they tell us. <laughs> It's gone. We don't need it anymore, right? The infection is gone. That's what sin is like. It's an infection. You can hold up your pill bottle and go, it is finished. <laughs> when you met Jesus, it's an empty bottle. It's finished. It's no longer needed. He did it all. He did it all. Once you've been forgiven through genuine salvation, you're forgiven forever. You can't ruin it. You can't mess it up. You can't give it away. People have told me that. Well, you, you can't blow it, but you can give it away. To me, if I can give it away, that's blowing it. 
doesn't make sense. We'll cover those verses in a little while. And so, if it is finished, like he says, then there's some things that we need to, we need to understand. We need to accept the fact that with your salvation came the perfecting work of Christ. You have to, but that's hard to do sometimes. You have, but you don't know me. Maybe, but maybe you don't know you. I think that's more true. I think we really don't know who we are in Christ. I think we really don't explore what salvation did in our life. We have these verses that we all quote, and I quote them too. I'm just as guilty. But we don't know what they mean, and we don't know how it plays out, and we don't know how it applies to life, and we don't know how it works exactly. But we quote them, and they make us feel better, so that's okay. How many of you know where the verse is found where it says, I'm a new creation in Christ, you have all things become new, and all things pass away? Pop quiz. I don't know either. I got to look it up. I'm with you. Second Corinthians five seventeen, which is really fourth Corinthians, but that's another. Second Corinthians five seventeen. There were four books written to the Corinthians. We have two of them. We have the second book and the fourth book. We don't have the first and third. But yeah, we quote it all the time. What does it say in context? What's happening? Who's he talking to? Who's the writer? Why is he writing that? But we know the verse. No, we don't know the verse. We know the words of the verse. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. If we're going to be the church at Thessalonica, the only church that wasn't criticized, we have to, we have to bring... They sat daily... And wrestled around the word of God. They discussed it. And they grew together in love because of the word of God. I'll tell you, if there's one thing we have here, I think that that's one thing we have here. Is the word of God is central in all we do. And we will not, I will not compromise it. I will leave. If a group of people ever tells me I have to compromise it, either I'm leaving or they're leaving. And sometimes I can be a little more ornery. <laughs> I just won't do it. I will not compromise the book. For nothing, nobody, no amount of money. When we were building this church, I had somebody offer me $300,000 I didn't have to pay, I pay back. But I had to sign something saying that I don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, and I sent them packing. I said, got to find another way. And he did. What do we have if we don't have this? And so we have to believe what it says. And so if it says that he perfected us in salvation, you sit perfect where you are. Well, why don't I act perfect? That's a fantastic question. The reason we don't act perfect is we don't know what the truth is about who we are. That's why it's important that we begin to accept these things that God's Word tells us.
See, you're no longer busted and broken. You're actually perfected. See, the enemy would like nothing for you to believe that you're worthless and accept. Well, nobody can use me. He can't use me like he used so-and-so. You're right, he can't. That's a true statement. He cannot use you like he used somebody else. You know why? Because that was their ministry. He didn't call you to their ministry. He called you to yours. You be the best you, or you be the available you. The best I can ever be is Mark. And what he's called me to. <laughs> One, accept the fact that you're, with your salvation came the perfecting work of Christ. Two, worry less about our sin. Oh, then we need to worry less about our sin and spend our time exploring our new relationship with Christ. We say that, we say that don't we? We've all talked about that. Let me give you some things to think about as you, because I'm going to help you. I want to do some application if we can. What does that mean about digging into the relationship? We'll give you some things to think about. Who is he? What are the characteristics of God? What are the seven omnis? Omnipresent. Omniscient. Omnipotent. I have people doing the test audibly up here. Can we write them on the board? We should do some of that. You guys would like, would y'all like something like yeah. that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Steven is grinning behind his baby back there. I can bring some of that in here. I just <coughs> that's just the seven omnis, you know. What about the forgiveness? What is the what is the number one characteristic of God? Is it love or holiness or which is it? Which flows out of what? Do we know that? I think I can make an argument. But I want you to make the argument. I gotta equip you to do that, right? Love, holiness, forgiveness, long-suffering. Those are just a few. The book's full of them. Come on, this is your application. You want to know how to explore your new relationship with Christ? Who is he? What are his characteristics? Okay? What are the things that he likes and loves? Is there anything God hates? Did you know there's some things that God hates? Did y'all know that? Yea, these seven things do I hate? And he lists them. Okay? How he thinks. He begins to explain his thoughts as you travel through the Old Testament and he engages his people. Remember, how many of you have ever heard of Jonah? Come on, I'm going to help unpack this for you. Because we say these things and we don't ever unpack them. We've heard of Jonah. What do we know about Jonah? He fought God. And a whale. That large fish. 
called the Golden Streets to Nineveh. Nineveh. He didn't want to go. How many of you know that that was not the only prophet sent to Nineveh and found the same exact stuff going on there? How is that possible? Because during Jonah's time, Nineveh repented, didn't they? Yeah. 120 years later, another prophet went and they were doing the same thing. They turned back. But remember when Jonah was under the tree and he says, I know that you're gracious and loving and if I go, that you're going to grant them for you. And he knew who God was. And God began to explain what he wanted to do there. We see the heart and mind of God toward people who stink. You want to get to know him, this is how you get to know him. That's how you unpack this. How he thinks. How he acts. What does God... God has a, has a point where he says enough. And he draws a line. He did that with Sodom and Gomorrah. He did that with the Israelites who refused to put their faith. The ground opened and swallowed them up. Those who had no faith did not go into the promised land. What has God done? Get to know him by what he does. And understanding what he did historically. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to know him. We say that and that's said over and over and over. And nobody unpacks it. And I'm trying to unpack some of that for you this morning. Three. Make a reasonable attempt to hear and listen to the Holy Spirit. If he's writing on our heart and mind that something is happening that God is doing in your heart and mind, and don't you want to know what that is? Don't you want to see what he's up to? Don't you want to see what he's writing? Know what it's about. Know why he's writing. Know who it's for, not only in your life, but who he's preparing you for. Listen, that's how the Lord is communicating with us. God doesn't use text messages. Well, he can use a text message. He can. He can use anything. You ever get a text message from somebody and you went, oh man, that, they sent that for that, but this is really speaking to something else? We do that with conversations. We do, God can use anything. But he's using this. How many of you, this isn't a trick question, but how many of you would like to know what he has to say to you today? Right? How many of you, if God was waiting to have a counseling session with you, for lack of a better phrase, after the service, in one of the rooms, and he was in there, and you'd be able to sit with him and talk with him, how many of you would race to be first in line, right? Right? That's what's happening. We dismiss him as somebody far off, but he's not far off. He's in our hearts and our minds. And I want to tell you, he wants to talk to you after the service today, hopefully during it too. <laughs> the question is, could he get on your schedule? <laughs> 
So ladies and gentlemen, if we're going to take what he's saying here, we need to hear him. We need to hear him. How many of you have ever even set aside time to give him that chance? Say, I'm going to set aside five minutes or three minutes. Most commercial strings are three minutes long. And we avoid them, don't we? That's why we have DVR now, so we can fast forward through them. They used to, now, even some of the DVRs, when you do playback, will skip the commercials for you. It's, there's, it's a limited number of channels. Well, anyway, I'm not here to say you satellite TV. But that period of time, if you just took three minutes, and if he's done in three minutes, do you realize in one second you could have had a whole paragraph or a day-long conversation with God? Because when he communicates, he can communicate all of it like that. Like everything now makes sense because of this, and he brings everything into this, and then over time you begin to grow into it. You know, I was... As I was preparing this, I was reading the story about these uh, these two taxidermists. And they stopped before this window, and there was an owl on display. And both specialists in the field, they began to immediately criticize the way it was mounted, and his eyes weren't natural, his wings were not in proportion to its head, and its Feathers were neatly arranged, and its feet could be improved. And they're going on and on about this. Two of them, amongst themselves. Until the owl turned its head and looked at them. See, we become kind of prideful in our own eyes and rely on our own abilities and rely on our own things instead of sitting in awe and wonder and gratitude for what God has done and letting him speak when you start to rely on yourself when your confidence in using yourself you become critical like they did but when your confidence is in Christ your gratitude is enormous and it changes how you relate to the world. So the question for us becomes this. Who's leading your life? Jesus said it was finished when he did it. And the question is, are you really going to let him lead? Are you going to let him lead in the decisions you make? And how you talk to other people? And how you talk to your spouse. I was reading something the other day about how we treat the people that don't love us the most better than the people who do. People who have given up their whole life for us, we will treat worse than a stranger. That makes no sense. But we do it. Jesus gave his life up for us. And we treat him like a burden. We, I got to do this. For, I got to go. I don't feel like it, but I got to go. 
I mean, imagine that. Imagine that in the in the garden. I really don't feel like going, but I gotta go because they're all sinners. Imagine if that was in here. How would that have made you feel? But doesn't it say that? Didn't he say, Father, may this cup pass from me, nevertheless not my will, yet thy will be done. That was talking about the pain and agony of the cross. Not his unwillingness to go. You ever wish sometimes there was another way, but the only way is a painful way? I've got one of those coming up for me this week. <laughs> Hopefully it'll go well. That's my unspoken prayer, my half-spoken prayer request. Ladies and gentlemen, who's leading? Who's leading? Is it God when you're in trouble? Or God all the time? Let's go ahead and bow their head and close their eyes.